looking at my calendar and realized what when camp week was going to be. And in my mind, I thought I knew what my body was going to experience during the camp week. Um, I, I kind of undersold a little bit because it was way worse than I had envisioned. Um, loved the experience with the students, but I am so glad to be back in my bed. But a couple weeks before, or a couple months beforehand, I, I reached out to Pastor Michael and said, hey, um, here's a Sunday coming up. I'd love for you to be able to, to speak and Thank God he said yes, because if I wouldn't have asked him before this week, I would have asked him, asked him um, coming back on Friday night, he would have got the phone call. So um, if you can help me, uh, welcome Pastor Michael, and uh, can't wait to hear what God has again. Thank you for that warm welcome. That was awesome, guys. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right, so Pastor Mike has been doing miracles, and uh, last week he said that was the last miracle, but he didn't know what I was working on in the meantime, so surprise, you get one more miracle. <laughs> and this miracle, I, I would uh, dare to say, is one of the greatest miracles in the entire Bible, because this is a miracle, the miracle of rebirth, the miracle of being born again, the miracle of regeneration. If you could just take those three words, they're all synonymous being born again, rebirth, and regeneration. Um, but a lot of times, there's so much confusion in this world about what that means. What, what does it actually mean? What is being born again? What, some people think that it just means being baptized, that you know, we, we've shared with people on the streets, and we say, do you know the Lord? And their response is, yes, I've been baptized. Well, being baptized is not necessarily being born again. And then other people in the Catholic Church um, that I was raised in, they believe if you're confirmed, then you're saved. But that's not it either. And then uh, some people believe that just because they recited some words that they repeated after somebody, that that means that they're born again. But then there's nothing else. But So then you can go to the dictionary, Webster's Dictionary, and you can even read a more horrible definition of what they think uh, being born again is, which says it's of or relating to or being a usual Christian person who has made a renewed or confirmed commitment of faith, especially after an intense religious experience. Well, you can have an intense religious experience, but that doesn't mean you're born again either. Um, and then they say, or, or having returned to a newly adopted activity, conviction, or persona, especially with a proselytizing zeal. Well, no, I can be zealous and tell people about car insurance. That doesn't mean I'm born again, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and then they give one more uh, definition that I didn't give in the first uh, service, but they say that it's uh, also an enthusiast, being enthusiastic about something and eager to make other people think the way you do. Not really. <laughs> I don't really care about people thinking the way I do. Uh, I want people to think the way God thinks and see what God says. Um, so this term, born again, we need to look through the lens of the scripture to see what actually being born again is, because this is important. Um, Jesus said, you must be born again. So we want to understand. We want to see. We want to, we want to know what happens when that takes place. And so um, let's read, if you got your Bibles, John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, and then also John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, if you got your Bibles. And give me an amen when you're there so I know. Okay. Very good. Y'all are on top of it. 
So in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, the Bible reads, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And then in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, The Bible reads, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, excuse me. Nicodemus said to him, Well, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. For that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you, Lord, that you spoke, Lord, and it was written. Lord, we we thank you, Lord. We, We ask you now, Lord, to illuminate our hearts, Lord, with what you meant when your word was written down, Lord. Lord, there's so many, Lord, interpretations, Lord God, but we don't want to interpret it ourselves. Lord, we want to understand, Lord God, your heart. So, Lord, as we go to your word today, we ask you to show us new things that we've never seen before. Teach us, Lord. Correct us, Lord God. Lord, use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to talk about four things um, about being born again and what actually happens when we are born again. And I'm going to open with a quote here from Charles Spurgeon because this is the important thing to understand about being born again itself. And Charles Spurgeon says, The Lord knows very well that you cannot change your own heart and cannot cleanse your own nature. However, he also knows that he can do both. He can create you a second time. He can cause you to be born again. And that is so very key and so very important for the whole message here today because I I just want to, I'm going to give you the bottom line because I'm a bottom line type of guy. That's the bottom line, that it is a work from God. It's not something that you can choose to do, decide to do, or even pray yourself to do. It's something that comes from God, being born again. So the first thing, though, that what happens when we are born again is we are given a new heart. When Jesus says, now think about this. This is the implication of Jesus saying that we need to be born again. By Jesus saying that we must be born again, he's saying that our present heart condition is hopelessly unresponsive because we are guilty of sin and we are corrupt. That's kind of like a, ouch, God, really? I didn't think it was that bad, but, but yes, that's, that's it. So the new birth confronts us with our hopeless spiritual, moral, and legal condition apart from God's regenerating grace. We need that new heart. We need that new heart because 
We are hopelessly unresponsive. Now, what does that mean? That means when the Word of God, when we, when we read the Bible, <clears throat> when we're not saved, before we're born again, it doesn't make any sense at all. I don't know about you guys, but if you're like me, especially, I started out at the end at Revelation when I was young, when I was little. And I remember coming running out of the room telling my dad, Dad, there's dragons in the Bible. They're coming out of the bottomless pit. We're all going to die. You know, <laughs> totally misinterpreted the, the word of God because I didn't know what it meant. I had no idea what it meant. My heart was unresponsive to it. I just knew what I knew from, you know, the world and dragons that they're bad, right? I didn't understand. I, could, I didn't respond in a proper way to God's word. And that's the point, is that because of our sinfulness and selfishness and, and our guilt because of that sin, we cannot respond in the proper way to God's word. We need that new heart to be able to do that. And so that's what he gives us. And so before the, that new birth happens, we are spiritually dead. We're morally selfish and rebellious, excuse me, and legally guilty before God's law, which makes us subject to his wrath. We were enemies of God before we had this new heart. And remember who Jesus is speaking to here in these scriptures. He's speaking to Nicodemus, who was both influential, he was a ruler of the Jews, and he was a, a Pharisee. He was um, like a priest. And Paul called the Pharisees the straightest sect of religion in Acts 26.5. And so here we have a man who's both successful and who would be expected to be very conscientious about his religious duties and obligations. But look... Look at Jesus' response here. Let's go back to, to John chapter 3 here and look at how Jesus responded to Nicodemus. Because Nicodemus comes to Jesus and look what he says. He says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. And Jesus answered him. Look at, look at what Jesus did here. Let's break it down. Jesus, Jesus ignored Nicodemus' recognition of him as a teacher come from God. Jesus ignored Nicodemus' acknowledgement of him being a miracle worker. And he ignores the admission that God was with Jesus. Instead, Jesus responds in a way that, that if it was me, it would have stunned and amazed me. I've been like, what? <laughs> so Jesus says in verse 3, he says, Verily, verily, I say to you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus' response in verse 4 just further proves what I said, that we cannot respond to God in the proper way unless we have that new heart. Because look at Nicodemus' response there in verse 4. He says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? See, he totally didn't understand what Jesus was saying at all. Have you ever been trying to explain something to somebody and you said to them, do you see what I'm saying? Right? They're just not, it's not registering. Do you see what I'm saying? Do y'all see, do you see? Do you see this? This is what Jesus is saying here to us. This is what Jesus said to Nicodemus before Nicodemus even realized what was being said to him. Jesus was saying, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you can't even see what I'm saying. Because <laughs> that word see, if you look it up in the Greek, it means to understand, to comprehend, to perceive. And so Jesus is saying here that we can't even perceive or comprehend or even understand the things of God unless we've been given this new heart first, unless we're born again. And then in verse 8, this is the key. It says, 
um, to everything else that, that we've, we've just read there, it says, Jesus says he tries to get it to Nicodemus' poor little head. Verse 5, 6, and 7, he doesn't. So verse, seven, verse 8 here, he says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. In other words, we're not driving anymore. When we are born of God, we're not in the driver's seat anymore. We don't go where we wish. We go where the Holy Spirit wishes us to go. You see, and that's what he was saying there by, uh, so it is with everyone who's born in the Spirit. We don't know where the Holy Spirit's going to lead us, but we're going to go where he leads us once we're born again. So when a person is born again, the Holy Spirit is in the driver's seat. The Holy Spirit is driving. This means we're not living for ourselves, and we have no idea where the Spirit's going to lead us. And we don't need to know either. The Holy Spirit knows where we're going, right? <laughs> the Holy Spirit, do we trust the Holy Spirit? Absolutely, we should. If we don't, then God will, God will work on you. It's okay. So when we're born again, we're given this new heart, which means our inner desires change, no longer chasing after the things of the world that we used to, but rather now we get hungry because we have this new heart that is responsive to God. So we, we get hungry for his word. We get hungry to not only to know, but to learn, and then also to do the things of God. This is a change of heart. And, and when I say heart, in, in the Hebrew, their definition of heart is a little bit different than ours. When we say heart here in America, we think of a cute little Cupid with a little, you know, I heart you. But, but to them, to the Hebrew, this was the core of who you are. All the decisions you ever made in your life, your character, everything, the issues of life came from your core, your heart. And so that's what we're talking about while you get a new heart. You get, your, your core of who you are is recreated by God. So we become responsive to the voice, the rhema, the spoken word of God, and the logos, the written word of God. We begin to hear God speak to us in our life. That's what the rhema word of God is. Now it will always go in alignment with what the logos, the written word is. He will never go against his word. And so that's how we have confirmation that it is God speaking to us by his written word. And that's why we get hungry for his written word when we get this new heart. Because we want to know what God says. We want to hear what God says. And, and for, in order for us to hear him in our lives, in our everyday walk, we have to know what he says in his written word first. So we get hungry. That's, that's an evidence of a change of heart, that you're hungry for the word of God. And then the second thing is that after we're given a new heart, we're given a new identity in Christ. We're no longer Saul's, but we're Paul's. If you want to know what that change is about, read Acts. And then if you want to know the results of that change, read the rest of the Bible because 80% of the New Testament was penned by Paul who had a radical, radical conversion on his way to Damascus. He was one who persecuted Christians to the point where the Bible says he destroyed Christians and their families, destroyed them. You use your imagination on what that means. It means exactly what your imagination is saying right now. He destroyed people thinking he was doing God a service. But then when he encountered God, he lived this, this scripture right here, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. This, this, was, this is the transition from becoming a Saul to Paul. And if you notice, I have on... The screen there, I have the word if in yellow because this is a conditional statement. As, as a software developer, 
during the day, that's what I do at my job. This is logic, and logic follows if a condition is met, then this executes, else it's something else, right? So that's the logic, if, then, else, okay? So here, we can apply this same logic because God created logic. Here in his word, he says, if a person is in Christ, then they're a new creation, else you're not born again. It's that simple. If you're in Christ, you are a new creation. It's, it's that simple. And I want to I emphasize this. The new birth is something that is done to us. It's not something we can do at all. We have no power to become born again on our own. John 1.13 emphasizes this. It refers to the children of God as those who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Those three little words are so powerful. But of God. Born of God. God causes this new birth, not us. Peter also stresses this in 1 Peter 1.3 when he says, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. So therefore, because of this new birth, we are given a new identity. It's not something we come up with. As we no longer desire the things of this lost world, we begin to find our identity in Christ. God calls us by our new name in him from Saul to Paul, if you will. <clears throat> and then look in, open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 5. And we looked at verse 17. We've got 17 on the board. But let's look at the rest, verses 18 through 21 in that. And give me an amen when you're there. Y'all are faster than me now. Y'all are showing off. All right. So look, we, we read... 1 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. But then look at the rest of this. This is part of having this new identity in Christ. He says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. This is a change. This is a new identity. You see this? And then it says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the miracle. That's the miracle right there. That in him... We become the righteousness of God. He takes on our unrighteousness. This, this is simple, basic Christianity, but to some, maybe some have never heard it before. And this is, this is the miracle, though, that happens when we're born again. And so here, what this means for those of us who are born again, this means that our value and our worth no longer defined by what anybody says, no people. No longer defined by the world, what the world says and what the world thinks about us. And no longer defined by our own sinful mistakes. That's not our identity anymore. Our identity is defined by Christ. 
Let that reside in you so that you know with 100% confidence that when things come up, because things will come up, that you are loved. And not only are you loved, you're redeemed if you're in Christ. That's important. That's important. You have to stand on this and let it be your strength because the enemy is going to throw darts that are going to come. They're going to come from peers. They're going to come from your past. And they're going to come from future problems that are going to come up. And they're going to try to knock you down and tell you that this is your identity. But you need to realize and stand your identity is in Christ. If you're not at that place yet today, today's the day to find your identity in Christ. Don't put it off. It's a miracle. And God wants to do this miracle in everyone. The third thing that happens when we're born again is we are given new vision and ability. And I'll I'll backtrack a little bit here. Our identity, because before we were born again, our identity was so deeply rooted in rebellion that we could not see. We could not see, we could not detect, and we certainly did not desire the glory of Christ in his gospel. And that's what the Bible tells us. And that's true. That's true. I look at my own life and I look at my own past before I was born again. And I I can tell you that, yes, I thought I loved Jesus. And I thought that just because I went to church every once in a while and hemmed and, and hawed and kneeled and stood and all this that we did in the Catholic church, I thought that I was fine, right? Do my best and love Jesus and that's, that's it. Believe in Jesus. But the truth is, is that I couldn't see. I couldn't see the truth of the word of God. I couldn't detect what was true or not. If somebody told me something, I'd be like, uh-huh, okay. Because I had nothing, nothing to discern by. And I certainly didn't desire to live a life that was in alignment with the glory of Jesus Christ. Because I had... That life was not in me. So the new birth introduces us to the absolute freedom of God. Apart from that freedom, we're spiritually dead because we're in our own selfishness and rebellion. That's what the Bible calls us, the children of wrath in Ephesians 2, 3. And then in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4, the Bible says that even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And in their case... The little G, God of this world, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And that was our lives. That was my life before I was born again. It was veiled. The gospel was veiled to me. I had no idea. I thought you just believed in Jesus. I didn't know that you actually get born again. I remember I remember telling my sister this. I remember we sat down and uh, we were in Atlanta where she lived, and we sat down at this restaurant, and I said, why didn't you tell me I had to be born again? I would have done it. But the truth is, is that even if I wanted to, it wasn't the time. It was all in God's timing. He was building up. He had his perfect timing in my life. So, but, but that's the thing is that we don't know. We don't see. It's hidden to us. It's veiled to us. Well, I didn't even know I needed to be born again. I didn't even know what that meant. So this shows us, again, that the rebirth is a miracle by God himself and something he does in us and not something we can do on our own. The new birth makes us, makes us alive to Christ and his gospel, forever changing who we are. Forever changing who we are. I can never be the same again. 
I can't unsee the truth now. You ever, somebody ever show you something and you say, oh, I can't unsee that now. Like, I can't unsee the truth of the gospel. I can't unsee the truth of Jesus Christ. I can't unsee that he is God, that he was raised from the dead, that he has changed my life. I'm a living testimony of that. And so are you if you've been saved, if you've been born again. It's a miracle of a changed life. And the only way this is possible is by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. By his spirit, when we get this new identity, not only do we have the ability to see his truth, but now we have the ability to walk in that resurrected power of Jesus Christ. And now we begin to do things that we never thought we would do before. I never thought I'd get to go to India and especially go to India to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. I used to make fun of preachers on TV. You know, the huffers and puffers, the ones, you know. All. <laughs> I used to make fun of them. But guess where I'm standing right now? Preaching. <laughs> I never thought I would do this. This is, this is the things that God does. It's because of the power of the Holy Spirit gives us this new ability to do his will, to do his work. And, and so in you, that may look like proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ wherever you're at. It may be just caring about and serving others. That is, a, that is another thing that I noticed about myself is that I actually began to care about others other than myself. You know, before I was born again, it was all about what we call number one, self. Got to take care of number one. Now it's, well, how's brother so-and-so doing? How's this person doing? What can I do to help? You know, what do they need? You know, it's thinking and caring about others over ourselves. And then it's missions, doing missions trips. Never thought I would do that, but praise God, I am, and because of him. So let me explain this this way. Those who do not see don't even realize they don't see. We didn't realize it. I didn't realize it. They don't realize the treasure that's right in front of them. Have you, I've heard stories and stories about people who have found paintings in the trash, and then they go get an appraised. It's like a $3 million painting that was like, people, people, sometimes people just don't realize What's right in front of them? And especially when it comes to Jesus Christ, we had no idea before we were born again. We couldn't see the kingdom of God, just like Jesus said to Nicodemus. We couldn't see it. We couldn't see it. Had no idea. But when we do see the value in something, when we do realize that it is true treasure, we find this ability, this amazing ability to obtain it. And we see this picture in the parables of the pearl of great price and the hidden treasure in the field that Jesus gave. They gave up everything. They sold everything to obtain it. And see, that's the way it is when, in the born-again experience. When you realize, when you're standing in the presence of God, you realize the treasure of the presence of God that you're standing in, you will say, God, I will give up everything to follow you because I see the value here now. I see my wretchedness. I see your value, your redemption, what that means for me. No way I can do it myself. There's value in that. I want that. <laughs> That's the only response we have with being born again. So once we become born again, we begin to see these things. We get this new vision. We see these things that we once thought were impossible in our lives. Now they're possible with God. We begin to realize that it's not up to our strength or our abilities alone, but our abilities come through the power of the Holy Spirit, through him, and only because of him now. This is absolute freedom. That's freedom. You know why that's freedom? Because I don't have to worry. It's not based on my performance. This is God's work in me. 
It's not based on what I can or can't do now. If I mess up, I don't have to worry about that. That is freedom. That's freedom. I don't have to be afraid of making a mistake. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit's going to say, yeah, we need to talk about this. And then we'll talk about it, and I may mess up again, and the Holy Spirit's going to say, yeah, we need to change this and this. And I may even mess up again. And guess what? God's going to say, silly boy, I told you. <laughs> and I just see him laughing at me sometimes, but that's freedom. I don't have to worry. I don't have, I don't have that stress. And, and that's my prayer is that God would help us all to see the treasures that we miss every day in him. Show us. Help God help us to see with new eyes and receive our strength from his spirit to do what he's called us all to do with this life that he's given to us. Which brings me to the fourth point, that we get a new life. A new life in Christ. And what happens in this new birth with this new life, it's, it's not affirming the supernatural in Jesus, but it's experiencing the supernatural of the resurrected Jesus within us. It's within us. In other words, we begin a life of knowing him. So another result of the, the miracle of the rebirth is because we have this new heart, we have a new identity. We can see things differently now. And I, and I remember the day I was born again and I walked out of the church, I told my sister, I said, the green on the leaves even looks different now. It was like I could see even physically for the first time. You just begin to see things differently. We get this new vision. We have the new power of the Holy Spirit within us to help us to do the things of God, not only just, just being uh, you know, religious-like. We, we begin to do the works of God. And we begin to live a new life. Our life begins to go in a new direction. And so remember this Nicodemus that came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, you must be born again. And Nicodemus, think about this for a second. He was already religious. As we said before, he could quote the Pentateuch. The first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, he could quote them verbatim. He went to church. He knew the word. He was a Pharisee. He could tell you up and down if, if somebody was telling something right out of the word of God. But what Nicodemus needed and what you and I both need is not religion, but a new life. And that comes from being born again. That only comes from being born again. And that only comes from God. We can't. Do it ourselves. And in Luke 9.60, think about this, this parable that Jesus gave. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus told of a man who put off following him because his father had died. And Jesus' response to him was, let the dead bury the dead. Think about what Jesus is saying there. Jesus is saying that there are physically dead people who need burying and there are spiritually dead people who can bury them. Wow. Wow. So Jesus is saying there, there are people who are alive physically, but they're dead spiritually. And that is every single one of us before we're born again. Our heart is unresponsive to God and the things of God. Nicodemus needed, and you and I need, a new spiritual life. What happens in the new birth is that life comes into being that was not there before. 
life comes into being, comes into a being, excuse me, me and you, that was not there before. Think about what that means. Do y'all see the treasure in that? Think about the treasure. Life comes into a being that was not there before. We were spiritually dead. And God's life came into us. He recreated us. I don't, uh, all right, y'all aren't listening well, but that's okay. (laughs) This is not religious activity. It's not a discipline that you can learn. It's not a decision that you can make. Think about that. This is coming into being by the life giver himself. This is what 2 Corinthians 5.17 is all about, that in Christ we are a new creation. New creation. His life enters into us because of his indwelling presence. We begin to know him, right? We begin to truly know him, the only true God. John 17. So what happens when this new birth It's not affirming the supernatural in Jesus, but experiencing the supernatural of the resurrected Jesus within ourselves. And seeing, you know, people can see miracles all day long because that's what affirming the supernatural is, is just seeing miracles. We can see miracles. We can see signs and wonders, and we can be amazed at all of those miracles, but none of that will save a person. People chase miracles all day, and they're spiritually dead. Have you ever watched the, the ghost hunter people? They crack me up. I tell you what, they, me and my wife, we watched them one night, one night late, at, late. They were down in St. Augustine somewhere. And uh, you know how they, they record and they've got like this all fuzzy stuff. It's like, and they hear, oh, he said peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> I'm making that up. But they, they, they make up stuff like what did they, they didn't say nothing. That was just static. They're just, you know, whatever they hear in their head is what they think that the static is saying, you know. And then the people are like, ooh, ah, ooh, and they'll pay all this money to go on these ghost tours and stuff, chasing all these signs and wonders. Guess what? They ain't going to save you. Right. Spiritually dead, you know. Even if, even if there's a, a Christian church service where people fall down and roll over and get up out of wheelchairs and all that, that's not going to save anybody. That's not what saves somebody. It is the power of God entering into a person where that power was not there before, and they become born again. That's what saves a person. Whew, doing good on time. I'm a little long-winded, so y'all got to bear with me. There's a picture. Turn to uh, Matthew 13, and look at verse 33. This little short parable here. It's one of my favorite little nuggets of Jesus. I call this Jesus biscuits for the, for the youth disciples who are in that class. You know this. So we went over this. Um, but I call this Jesus biscuits. Listen to this scripture here. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 33, he said, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. And he gives no explanation for this parable. Right? So it looks like it's a nice recipe for biscuits, right? Because <laughs> leaven is yeast. You hide yeast in flour, what happens? It rises up, right? It expands. It gets all nice and fluffy and delicious. We like that, right? <laughs> yes, we do. 
All right, now I'm going to go to uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 5. And you guys go with me here too so you can see this. I want to show you because I want the Word of God to explain the Word of God. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verses 23 and 24. Oh, wait, I'm in Timothy. That's why. That's why wait. Oh, First Thessalonians, I'm sorry. I even wrote down First Thessalonians and still said second, so excuse me. <laughs> Are you there? First Thessalonians 5, verses 23 and 24. It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole, now look at this, spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, he who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. But what I wanted to point out here is, if you notice, in Thessalonians, Paul writes that, that our whole spirit, soul, and body. What is that? That's the three measures that Jesus was talking about here in Matthew 13, 33. And in this instance here, this is the only time that Jesus use, uses leaven as being good. In every other instance he talks about it, he's talking about the leaven of sin. But in this case, he's talking about the leaven of the Holy Spirit. Because in this, in this instance, he's talking about when a person, which, which he uses a woman, which the woman is us, the bride of Christ. And the woman takes the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit joins in our spirit on the inside. What happens? It begins to expand. As we feed on the word of God, which is the bread of life, we begin to feed on that word of God, and it begins to expand from not only our spirit, now our heart, but our soul, our mind, what we think, the way we see, our views all begin to change. And then what happens? It expands out to our body because our actions are now changing. You see this? This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is what the miracle of the rebirth is that we change from the spirit and it expands to our minds and then our actions and our life, everything changes. That's a miracle. That is a miracle from God. And it's amazing. And it is, it's humbling that God, the God who created all of this universe would want to do that for us. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So the most important question that we can ask ourselves today is, are you born again? Are you born again? We need to ask ourselves, have we been given this new heart that the Bible shows us? We've been given, are we be, have we become a new creation spoken of in 2 Corinthians 5.17? What is our identity? Where do we identify ourselves with? What do we better identify with? Do we identify with rebellion? Do we identify with the lost world or do we identify with Christ and his ways? You got to be honest with yourself here. And it's not something that's because we can compromise and we can talk ourselves into anything. We can say, yeah, well, yeah, I love Jesus, but I'll never forget. There was this um, person on uh, um, Ellen DeGeneres, the woman called in. She said, I love Jesus, but I like to drink a little. <laughs> what do you identify with, Jesus or drinking? <laughs> I'm confused. Like, so what do we identify with? What do we do? We identify with the rebellious world, world, or with God? And can we see? Can we understand? Can we perceive the things of God? Does it make sense, or is it just gibberish? These are honest questions to ask ourselves. Do the words leap off the page at us when we read them? Do our hearts burn with desire to have more of God when we read the Word of God? 
Do we have a problem of sin in our life? Is sin a problem or is it a non-issue? Because if it's a non-issue, then there's no conviction of the Holy Spirit there. And that may be a red flag that we're not born again. John, here's what the Bible says. In John 1, 12 and 13 that we read earlier, listen to these words again. It says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. Now, you first have to believe in his name, but don't stop there. Don't just stop believing in his name because don't stop at believing in his name because the devil believes in his name. So don't just stop at believing in his name. Go that next step and receive him. It's because the Bible says here, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, you have to first believe in his name to receive him. Then he gave them the right to become the children of God who were born not of blood, not of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. <clears throat> that has to happen. Don't stop short at just believing in his name. Receive him. Receive this miracle of the rebirth through Christ. And then ask yourself, well, you may be wondering, well, how do I know if I haven't received him or if I have received him? What does the Bible say about that? Well, here's what the Bible says. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 6, the Bible says that no one abides in him, no one who abides in him, excuse me, keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. What does that mean? Does that mean you're going to be perfect? No. But that means that now there's a struggle with sin in your life. That if you sin, the Holy Spirit's going to convict you and you can't keep doing it because the Holy Spirit's going to convict you and keep convicting you until you stop it. It's impossible to keep sinning the same sin for years and years and years without that conviction of the Holy Spirit. And even if you are still sinning that same sin for years and years and years and you have the conviction of the Holy Spirit, then you're, you're born again. But if you don't have any conviction at all, if you can keep doing it and it's a non-issue, then that's a red flag. Because the Bible is clear that no one who abides in him can keep on sinning. And then John 14, verse 15, the words of Jesus, he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And he said that three different times in that chapter. <clears throat> it's important. This is important for us to ask ourselves if we're born again, if we received this miracle. It's the greatest miracle. It's better than seeing somebody get up out of, wheel, out of a wheelchair. If you've ever seen that, which I don't know if I have, but if, imagine seeing somebody get out of a wheelchair and run. Being born again is better than that miracle. It is absolutely better. It's so great, in fact, the Bible says that when a person comes into the kingdom of heaven, that all the angels rejoice. That's how great of a miracle it is that even the angels rejoice at somebody's rebirth. That's amazing. That's an amazing thing right there. So if you have not received Jesus and been born again, then today is the day. Don't put it off. Don't, don't hesitate. Come to Christ and let him do the work in you. Let me tell you this. <clears throat> because our lost hearts are not responsive to Christ in a proper way. So our lost heart is going to try to talk us out of that tugging. If you feel that tugging in your heart, don't let anything talk you out of it. Amen. Run. Run to Christ. Run to Christ. And it will be the best thing that has ever happened to you 
It'll be the best thing that ever will happen to you. Next to standing in front of Jesus and him saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, we just love you once again, and we thank you, God, for your word. Lord, we thank you for this miracle, Lord, that you have done. Lord, you saw fit, Lord, to redeem humanity, to reconcile us back to you. To a place, Lord, where we can know you, Lord, because of the new, the newness, Lord, of the new heart, Lord God, that you've given us. The new identity, Lord, the vision, the ability to see, to understand, Lord God, and to walk, Lord, in your presence. Lord, to live a new life, Lord God, that is pleasing to you. God, thank you so much for that, Lord. I pray right now for anyone here who feels that tugging at their heart, Lord, that they would run to you right now. Lord, that they would just come to you, Lord, and they would feel, Lord God, your love. Lord, just wrap them up, Lord. There's no sin that that we could do. Lord, that's too great. That's greater than your grace and your forgiveness and your mercy. Lord, thank you for that promise, Lord. Thank you for that grace, Lord, that we have. Lord, I pray for each one here. In Jesus' name, amen.